Hey, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jude, please. It's nice having this spring weather recently, isn't it? Like, what is up with that? I mean, yeah, I'm not complaining. I'm loving it. Actually seeing the sun again. That's awesome. So, a little bit of review. Last week we talked about uh, contending for the faith, and and uh, there's some things in life worth fighting for. And I, I I'm still thinking about that. You know, in, in this world, in this life, in our personal lives, there are certain things that we need to fight for. And but it's also true in in the realm of this of the the church, the Christian church, the true Christian faith, uh, that the truth is worth fighting for. And that's what, that's what Jude was saying. He said, you need to fight. We need to fight for this truth. And, and uh, you know, it applies to today as well. Uh, I was talking with, with some folks uh, at the potluck last week. And, and when you, if you went, and I don't know how to say this, but if you, if you looked at all the churches that were just in our state alone, you'd find a great percentage of them are not teaching the truth. Amen. And that's not to lift us up. It's just that this is the way society is. They'll latch on to anything and everything and, and go in all these different weird directions. And so what Jude was saying, I think, applies to us today. And we need to understand that this isn't, this isn't something he was making up. And, and uh, the quote I had last week that, you know, a good number, most of the uh, books in the New Testament talk about false teaching and false teachers. And so you and I need to be on our toes and on our guard against that. You know, we talked about some of the, the current things, the false doctrines, the word of faith, you know, the word of uh, health and wealth, prosperity. You know, uh, and not that God doesn't want us to prosper, but, but he, because he does. But it's this guarantee that if I'm a believer, I'm going to be healthy. I'm never going to get sick and I'm, I'm going to have a lot of money. I thought, how could I get a Mercedes Benz? The New Apostolic Reformation it was another current one. And, and these things that, you know, they don't, they don't, again, they don't say, hey, we're Word of Faith or, hey, we're New Apostolic Reformation. But just in the title alone, it's new, right? It's apostolic and it's reformation. Just, just the title alone should, you know, give us pause. Like, wait a minute here. If it's new... You know, it's not holding to the, what the scripture teaches. If it's, you know, we've got all these brand new apostles and we've got to listen to all these different voices and they're hearing directly from God and, and giving this new doctrine and new revelation. And the Reformation, like, hey, the true Reformation was a Reformation back to the Word of God. That's the true Reformation, not away from it, not beyond it, not twisting it. So he says to... To contend for the faith, and the word means to agonize upon it, and, and you and I need to do that. The, the essential doctrines, the essential truths of the Christian faith. We're not talking about, you know, the minor points of 
you know, exactly when this is going to happen in, in eschatology and, and, and all different kinds of things. You know, should, uh, you know, women wear their hair like this or like that? You know, there's a lot of different points in there that we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, things like the, the, the creation, that God is the creator. We're talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and that we're saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. And there's no other way to salvation, that, that He died, that He rose from the dead, He ascended, and that He's coming back. And so we've been entrusted. He says that in, in verse 3. Let's, let's look at that verse. <clears throat> he said in verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And that's you and me. That's not somebody who's, who's died and gone to heaven. That's you and me. It's entrusted to us, to here, today. That we are to uh, hold on to it and to stay in the word and guard it in our own lives. Some of us, you know, the, the temptation in this life is to let, to let the word of God slip. The book of Hebrews talks about like drifting where we can just sort of drift. You don't, you don't have to work at drifting. You need to work at staying on course. To drift, though, you don't do anything. You just do. You just drift. And you drift off course. So for you and I, we need to, be, we need to stay in the word and, and, and fight for it. Fight for it in our own lives. Not just with you know, the church itself, but in our own lives to fight for the word of God in our lives. So we're going to pick it up there in verse 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in that day, he gets, starts to get specific now. He says to contend for the faith. And then in verse 4, he, he points out two different false teachings. And, and we're going to look at those in verse 4. It says in the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. And they are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our, own, our only sovereign and Lord. So two main uh, false teaching that they, that they came up with, with there, there today. And it's interesting, he says certain men, and he doesn't name any particular names, but sometimes you do need to, to name names. Now, you know, uh, I don't think we should name names unless we specifically know what a person is actually teaching. Just because, you know, so-and-so is connected to this or that, we, we need to be careful and we're not just going to, you know, throw out names. But, but if we know, and we need to warn people about certain false teachings, we need to do that. He says certain men are, are teaching this. Certain men who are, who are bringing these things out. What, what is interesting, though, is he says their, condition, their condemnation was, was written about long ago. In other words, the, the, the time will come when they will be judged for false teaching. And I think that's, that's something true. He, in the next few verses, he's going to talk about how God is, you know, he, he does judge. We, you know, we want to talk about a God of love, and he is a God of love, and he is love. But, there, but there, he is also a God of of truth and judgment. 
And, and we need to stay on his track, not on ours. David Guzik said that their judgment is assured and that the truth will win out. And that is true. The truth will always prevail. The truth. Even in our own lives, when, we're, when we think we're getting away with stuff, it says, you know, uh, you can be sure that, you know, your sin will find you out. The truth is going to come out. And, and it's so in, in the case of this. Jesus warned... <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 18, about people who were teaching false and weird things, he says that if, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Jesus said that? Yeah. We better be careful what, you know, what we're teaching, what we're laying on other people. I want you to turn back with me to 2 Peter. It's just, uh, <clears throat> it's just back uh, a few books. 2 Peter chapter 2, just before 1 John. Turn back to me. Uh, 2 Peter, there, there are a lot of, of common um, concepts and teaching in both these. They're kind of like parallel passages. And, but Peter wrote before Jude, Peter said, this is what's going to happen. And Jude is saying, this is what is happening. So, so Peter wrote this before Jude, but notice some of the same kinds of things he says there in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, but verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. And their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. It, it is going to happen. The Lord will clear these things up. But, but notice Peter brings out a couple of things about like what is going on. The greed. Why are they doing this? The greed. They, they, they make up these things and, and their, their greed and they bring the truth into disrepute. They make the church look bad because of false teaching. They, they're not holding to the truth. Uh, you know, speaking about this, you know that, well, notice what it says here. It says that many will follow. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into their So a lot of people will join on. It's, it's not that you're going to teach false doctrine and false teaching and no one's going to go listen to it. It says many will go. Do you know that the, the biggest church in America, anybody know what that is? Joel Osteen has got the biggest church in America. And he's, he's a false teacher. He's a name it and claim it. He's, it. Basically what Joel Osteen is, and I'm not afraid to say this, he's a motivational speaker. That's what he is. But he's doing it in the name of the church. And, and it's, it's just, he, he won't use the word sin. He won't use the word devil or Satan. He won't use the word hell. He just won't use those words. I stay away from them because they're not positive, you see. But, but he's misleading people. And, and the time will come when he will have to answer for what he does. I will have to answer 
for things that I teach. James says, you know, that we shouldn't want to be teachers because we're going to be held to a stricter standard and be judged by what we teach. So it's not a, a, a you know, a light thing that we're talking about here that James, uh, excuse me, that Jude and that Peter are, are uh, confronting here. Let's go, let's turn back to Jude and, and carry on with, with what he says there in, in verse 4. He says that they, that they had come in their condemnation was written about long ago. The judgment will come. Peter says it. It's not, you know, it's, it's hanging over them and it's not been sleeping. But he says that they, they secretly slipped in among you. They secretly slipped in among you. And, and someone said this, they don't come in wearing name badges. Danger, false teacher. But, but so, so we have to be, again, be listening, using the minds that God has given to us, not just, you know, going along with it. What, what about the guy who took a whole crowd of people over and, and, and ended up, they all committed suicide? Why? Because they were following like sheep, with, you know, and, and, and to Guiana, James Jones I'm talking about. He didn't. He didn't wear a badge. He didn't say, hey, listen, you know, I've got a nice cult happening here and bring. He wanted all their money. He made them sign over everything. That's happened in our own lifetime, my lifetime at least. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, he's speaking about himself being the Savior of the world. But he goes on, the next, very next verse says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothings, clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is where we get the, the phrase, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they, they're not... You know, they don't come in snarling and growling. They come in looking like a sheep. And they pretend that this is who they are, but, but it's not. Now, in, in some cases, uh, it's just flat out willful deception. In other cases, I think they're, will, they're, they're deceived themselves. But either way, it's deception. And you and I need to be, uh, have our... our uh, Minds in tune with what God's word says. Paul, Paul said in Acts chapter 20, speaking to the elders in Ephesus, he said that I know that after I leave, savage wolves. So we have ferocious wolves, and actually they're different words. And then Paul says savage wolves, but they're still wolves. They're ferocious, they're savage. They will come in among you. They will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So why are they doing it? Because they like some, somebody to follow them. It's a pride thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a thing of, of wanting people to follow after themselves. Paul says, be on guard. Jesus said, be on guard. Watch out. Watch out, he said. 
They've slipped secretly. They've slipped in among you. Now, just because somebody is a part of the church, and, and I think it's the job of the leaders, but it's really all of our jobs to kind of be, be paying attention to this. But the word slipped in really means to settle in alongside and to lodge stealthily. Uh, Strong's translates it. To lodge stealthily. They, they don't just come in and, and one day they're all of a sudden, when somebody comes in and, and they, you know, they're there the first day and they say, you know, I'd like to talk about this and talk about that. We just go like, and they never come back. It's the people who are going to stay. Now, I'm not trying to freak you all out here, but, but, but could people come in here? We've had people come in and they want to teach weird things and we just say, you know what? It's not, that's not biblical. It's not, this is what the Bible says. But he says, you know, they, they come in and they, they, they lodge. They settle in. Paul talking about in Galatians, he said that some false brothers had infiltrated their ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. They came along and they wanted them to become legalists and follow the law, every part of the law, the Old Testament law. We're going to talk about that at the end. But here in Jude, he says, he says they're godless men. They're not even true believers. They're godless men. And I think, I think what... what we see about it, and I think what is true, he's going to talk about grace here, the next, the very first uh, false teaching that they really twist is grace. But he, it was kind of like this attitude, you know, we know better. We, we've got, you know, we've got something new, and it's really, you know, you are going to love this because we know, we understand. And, and it's kind of an attitude, but, but uh, James says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's where the grace comes in. Someone who's humble saying, I'm just trying to follow God. I'm trying to follow His Word. I'm, I, want to, I want to teach what the truth is. Not some new fancy idea that I just came up that I, you know, I had this dream and it was all about this and that and, and, and going off on some weird stuff. So what is this thing here? The first one, it says there that they change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. That's kind of interesting. You know, how can you even put those two things in the same sentence, right? Grace, immorality. It's like, but this is exactly what they have done. You see, they've taken this and they've twisted that. They've changed it. They've modified it, redefined it. They've taken the word and they've, they've added all kinds of stuff to it. They've changed the scripture and the words and the understanding of what grace is to, to really to match the culture. That's really what we're seeing here today, to match the culture. Now, we're supposed to be lights in the world, right? And a light uh, on the hill shining out, shining the light. Not, not that the world is shining into us. We're shining out to the world. But this is what's happened, and we've seen it, and it, it is just... It, I mean, if you can't see it, but what about marriage? God's words, it makes it very clear back from the very beginning, the first institution. And just because you're married, don't think that you're in an institution. But the very first institution that God ordained was marriage. 
And he says, it's a man and a woman, husband and a wife. And that's, that's the way he planted one man, one woman. He, he, he says back in Genesis, he created men and women. This is the way he created us. He didn't, you know, leave it open to interpretation or some kind of weird ideas. It's very, very clear. But you can go loads of places around here and and they'll say, you know what? It's pretty much open. It's pretty much whatever you think is okay. There's a big battle going on. I don't even know if it's really a battle. I think it it is in in the Church of England which is a huge denomination, right? And they just came out and said that you cannot perform gay marriages. But you can, if they get married somewhere else, you can come, you can bless them, and you can have a service for them. Okay? Now, Listen, I have, you know, gay people that I know and love, and I love them, and I, you know, and, and I, I'm not going to tell them how to live their lives, but, but as far as what the Bible teaches, it's not right. And right is right, and wrong is wrong, and that's just the way it is, and I, I didn't make it up. It's what God says. It's what the Bible teaches, you see. Same thing about sex, you know, he, he says it, it, it should be within a, a committed relationship of a husband and a wife. It's not, you know, our, our society is so immoral, it's so full of immorality, and so how could it not, you know, be affecting now the people in the church? Pornography, you know, living together. It's like today, people will not think twice about living together before marriage. When I, when I first became a believer, it's like, whoa, that's not good. Now it's like, that's the norm. Why? Because everybody's doing it, so it must be right. And we'll, we'll kind of fix that. You know, we'll kind of, we'll kind of like, it's grace, man. It's grace. Abortion. I mean, you know, these are some of the hot, hot topics today, but, it, you know, there are many other, you know, Things that, that this is affected. He says that, that they change the grace of our God into a license. And whether it's giving you approval for immorality, for doing things that should not be done. Grace allows me to do that. New Living Trans, Translation translates those words saying God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Don't, don't put those two in the same category. It doesn't work. It's not right. Someone else said this, since, since God's grace covers all, how we live doesn't matter. You know, there, there's some truth in there, right? The truth is God's grace does cover all. Absolutely does. But that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want. The NIV study Bible said they assume that salvation by grace gives them the right to sin without restraint, either because God in his grace will freely forgive all their sins or because sin 
by contrast, magnifies the grace of God. In other words, we're going to, you know, it, it, it just lets us do it or actually doing it makes God's grace seem bigger. So let's go for it. Anything and everything. And I'm not talking about in the world now. He's not talking about in the world. He's talking about in the church. What the church teaches, what the church believes. Another quote. Self-control was not necessary for those who possessed a higher knowledge of spiritual things. In, in fact, not in face. In fact, immoral behavior might even be a sign of spiritual maturity. That's like, that's like, you know, we are so spiritual that we're doing these things. But Paul the Apostle, what did he say? He says, you know, where, where sin increased, you know, grace increased all the more. But he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because it makes grace look bigger. He says, God forbid, by no means. He said, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Peter said that, that we've spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers choose to do. We've, we, we've, we've been there long enough. We don't, why why we, we're just going to continue living like that? Because everybody else is doing it? Paul said in Ephesians 4 it's, that we should no longer walk that way because it's, it's ignorance, it's blindness. To change the grace of God. We're going to have a teaching uh, soon about the grace of God. In kind of a positive light of what it is. But if we truly understand God's grace. Man, I just want to live and I want to obey. I want to do what he wants me to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to twist things to, to my benefit, to my flesh, to, to fulfill the lusts of my own flesh. And we're good at that, by the way, aren't we? We justify, you know, we find, well, you know, if I just look at it like this, and if I look at it like that, it's probably okay. We're either going to follow him or not. These, these ones that were coming and teaching us, he says they're godless. They don't even have God. They don't truly have God in their lives. And if we're going to live like that, that's a question. Do we truly have God in our lives? The second false teaching now here, he says, he says they deny Jesus Christ, <clears throat> our only sovereign and Lord. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So, so the first one is kind of about like living like the world and immorality and, and, and yet pretending. The, the second one, I think he gets really to the heart of it. And maybe it should have been first, but, but he kind of maybe saved it for last. And the bottom line is denying, denying Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord, that he is Lord. And, and, and I think this is true, that every false teacher and every false teaching goes here in one way or another. They deny who Jesus is. They deny, deny you know, his sovereign right as Lord. And when you think about this word Lord, it means what? Master, the one in charge, the one who makes the decisions, the one who rules. 
He says, they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign Lord. I, I had to think about Jude. We talked about Jude in the beginning, right? And, and uh, did, did Jude always think that way? No, no he, he, he used to deny Jesus. Jesus, who do you think you are? Just because you're my big brother, you can't tell me what to do. Get out of my life. You're weird. You are crazy. We're going to take control of you. This is the stuff that was going on in his life. And now Jude is going like, he's sovereign. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's a, quite a change of thinking, right? And I don't want to do anything that might go against what Jesus wants me to do. Peter said it, I read it, they denied the sovereign Lord who bought them, who paid the price, who died for me. I found this quote by a guy named McDonald, and I think, I think you'll like it. It says, they deny his absolute right to rule, his deity, his vicarious death. That means he died for us in our place. His resurrection. In fact, they deny every essential doctrine of his person and work, and they have invented for themselves a Christ stripped of glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. If we truly go to Jesus for who he is, we're going to be on our faces. We're going to be on our knees. We're going to be saying, whatever you say is right is right. That, that doesn't mean, and we, we talked about this in the, in the letters to John, it doesn't mean we're going to live perfect lives. But what's the attitude of our hearts? What can I get away with? Or God, I, I, need to, I need to repent, I need to follow you, I need to do what's right before you, before your word. So the two false marks or identifying marks, uh, someone said a false teacher Teachers in this passage, one, they, they deny Jesus Christ, making him less than God. And they twist that grace, which frees us from the grip of sin, into a license for sin. How many of you have a driver's license? It gives you, it gives you the right to go and get in a car and drive and, you know. I was reading in Acts chapter 15... Uh, the other day, and it and I made me think about these in, in relation to this passage, these three things, law, license, and liberty. The first one, the law, in Acts chapter 15, you know, there were the, these people who came to Jesus, they believed in Jesus, and then the Jews from Jerusalem, they came and they said, okay, now that you're believers, now you need to also follow the law of Moses, and you need to do all these things. You need to be circumcised. You need to be all the things that the law of Moses said you got to do. And, and, then, and then, you know, Paul and, and, and them are going like, what? Wait a minute. And so they ended up going back. You know, Paul went back to Jerusalem. They had the big council of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 50. You can read all about it. And, and Peter stands up there in that meeting that conference, whatever you want to call it. And he says this. He said, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. 
So, so he says, we're not going to become legalists. We're not going to, you know, this is not what God has called us to, that, that the, the Christian faith is just a whole bunch of rules and regulations that we have to follow. No. Absolutely not. And what about license? What we see here in Jude, that we, that we take advantage of the situation, that we're going to take advantage of the grace of God because it's all going to be covered, so I'm just going to... It doesn't matter what I do, how I live. And we're going to twist what God has done in His grace for us. Not a good idea. But the last one is liberty. And, and the truth is that we have freedom in Christ. We do have freedom in Christ. But it's freedom. It, it, it's not freedom to sin, but it's freedom from sin. You see, we've been set free from sin. Not, we're, we're not set free so that we can sin. That's the flesh. That's what, you know, the world says. Interesting, when you go back and read Acts chapter 15, Peter said that. He said, absolutely not. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus. They were saved by grace, not by works. But... If you remember, they also said, you know, but there are some things that you need to stay away from, right? Uh, you know, eating blood, eating strangled uh, animals and, and sexual immorality. I think there was another thing, but I forget what it was. I think there was four things. At any rate, we're saved by grace, but you know what? That doesn't mean you just go do anything and everything. And they made it very, very clear even then, back then, in the very first days of the church. I want to close with this verse, Titus chapter 2. We do sing it. We're not going to sing it today, but it says, For the grace of God. Notice this, the grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. You see, the grace of God, the grace of God isn't license. In fact, one, one other version says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, in this world. We, you and I, are called to be different. We are called to be different, not just to be the, you know, the same as the world because I've been saved by grace, so you know what? I might look like you and act like you, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. But, but yet they look at us and they go like, what? I, it's, but you look just like me. You're doing the same things that I do, so I don't, it's not, okay. I guess I'll become a Christian too if, it, if, if anything goes, you know. And so we end up with a bunch of people who, who, who aren't even really saved because they don't really know the truth. They don't understand what God's grace has done for us. They don't understand the, the mercy and the love of God. But to be truthful, you and I need to know it for ourselves first. We need to know it 
deep inside of us. And, and how do we know that but through prayer and through the Word and, and seeking after God's face? It gets, I have to say, Jude, he didn't hold uh, back at all. And it's going to get even worse as we go on here. I have to say that too. I want to kind of warn you. It's kind of interesting because he said when we started this, this uh, teaching, he said, you know, I was, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. I wanted to write to you about this positive, positive stuff. But he said, but I found that, you know, this is more urgent that we need to fight for the faith, the truth of what God's word says. I could, you know, I could get up here and, and just, you know, kind of cherry pick. Oh, I love this part. I love this verse. I'm going to give that to them because, you know, and never get to the stuff that, that, that the Bible clearly teaches. That's not good. That's not the whole counsel of God. That's just the parts that, that will tickle your ear and make you say, oh, wow, I got really blessed in church today because the pastor was saying this about But But you go home and they say, the, the pastor said, I got to watch out for false teaching. I got to be in the Bible. I got to teach. I got to study what the word of God says. I gotta, you, know, the, you know, the world is teaching stuff that doesn't agree with the Bible. So, so who do I go with? The Bible or the world? The word of the world or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what God has called us to do. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So you are prepared and equipped to go out there. In here, you're pretty safe. I think. But out there, yeah. What did Jesus say about uh, being wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove? It's a battle outfield out there. You and I need to be prepared and equipped. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful word, and, and we thank you for Jude, this half-brother of Jesus, who who spoke it and taught it and, and brought us back to the, the truth of the grace of God and the truth of that Jesus is our sovereign, our only sovereign and Lord. Not some man, not some false teaching, not some apostle or prophet or person in this day and age. But Jesus, we humble ourselves before you, Lord, today. and You give grace to the humble. And you resist the proud. So we humble ourselves before you and, and we, we, we say, Jesus, we submit to you, we surrender to you like like Martha and Mary, and, and I know they studied this in the Sunday school, and Martha was busy, 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 but, but Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. That was the best. And it wouldn't be taken away from her. And Jesus, we sit at your feet and listen to what you have to say. And that's where freedom comes. The truth will set us free. 
And Jesus, we pray for any here today, maybe that, that don't have a relationship with you, that, that are kind of wandering and lost. And today is a day that you have made. And today is a day where you, if that's you, you can surrender to Jesus today and say, Jesus, I, I, need, I need help. I'm lost. Come into my life and I, I believe in you and I believe in the cross and the resurrection that you died for me, that you rose from the dead. You gave your life for me that I could live. Today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, please.